Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hi, I'm Scott Santucci. And I'm Brian Lambert, and we're the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to helping sales enablement leaders understand the big questions they should consider in order to be successful with sales enablement. In this podcast, we rethink, revisit, reframe, and confront reality about sales enablement. And today it's a topic that I find extremely important and actually extremely relevant in today's world, and that's sales coaching. Scott, what do you have for us? What I have for us, so we're actually recording this. uh, So as you probably can imagine, we record these things in batches, and this is being, we're actually recording this uh, July 31st. And we had posted out uh, in June uh, on LinkedIn how grateful we were to our audience that, that within six weeks we'd had a thousand downloads, uh, downloaders. And I put, I put it out there, uh, please. It's very helpful for it, getting notes like this are great. We'd really ask you if you could put them out on LinkedIn so more people can see it and more people can get the word. But Rachel uh, wrote me a note uh, on LinkedIn and here's what she said. I'm one of the thousand downloaders, downloadees, question mark, um, smiley face, uh, loving your podcast, would love an a- episode on first line manager onboarding or what I'm deciding to name reboarding, um, insert Scott joke or waterboarding. Ha ha. Um, that's not me. You know, that's my own joke. So apparently it didn't go over cause Brian typically is a good audience for me. So if you're driving around, you know, that Scott has some bad jokes sometimes. Uh, so back to back to what Rachel said, I'm utterly convinced the reasons the percentage of first level sales managers failing at their first management role is because of this. Manage, uh, companies take for granted that a high potential rep who's been inside the company for a couple years knows 80% of what it takes to be a sales manager when the reality is more like 20%. From a different view uh, of systems and tools to transitioning uh, from a player to a coach, there are so many ways to set successful sellers up to fail. It's, it's a wonder uh, people sign up for it. Rachel, the reason they sign up for it is they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They don't right. know what they don't know yet. Uh, but anyway, yeah, once, back they, to- once they've come to grips with the fact that they might not get paid as much, <laughs> they're good. Right. So it's back to back. Right. <laughs> right. Back, back to it. Uh, I'm in the early stages of building a manager onboarding program uh, we should have in place six months ago. We should have had in place six months ago and love to hear your thoughts. Very happy to contribute also. We're also building a business case for an internal sales onboarding podcast at the moment with myself self of the host. Great, Rachel. I'm not sure if you, you want to listen to how we're doing it, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, so we'd love, uh, love a real world opportunity to speed leaders time to yes on it. So those are, uh, that, that's some of the questions. So in response uh, to uh, Rachel's email, that's what we're talking about today. Very cool. Speed of business. Love yes. it. 
So, you know, then that's a good question. Now that you've sprung this on me, I'll spring it back to you since you always do the framing out. How are you going to frame this one out? Or was Rachel framing it out for us? Ah, right. So what we've learned is one of the more popular elements of our podcast is a framing story. So on this one, uh, I'm using it to give you a voice of your peers, but also encourage you, please use the email, engage at insidese.com. I guess I'll take emails from LinkedIn too, but we want to hear your thoughts. Uh, so with that, here's the segue. I'm a Redskins fan, and I'm going to use a football example because it's our podcast and I get to. And the football, <laughs> the football example. Yeah, so this will only take a second for all you that want to turn it off right now, either because you're not a Redskins fan or you can't stand football analogies. This is only going to take 30 seconds. So, so hang in there. Yeah, hang in there. And uh, for those, of us, so for those of us who are Redskins fans, uh, we're suffering. So we have to live in the in the in the golden era. And the golden era of Redskins football is the goat Joe Gibbs era. And if you don't know Joe Gibbs. Uh, Joe Gibbs is incredibly Christian. Uh, he does not curse. He uh, finds players if they curse in his presence. He looks really, really nerdy. He admits that he's really, really nerdy. And just everything about him is uh, incredibly by the book. And one of the things that he did as a coach, he, he really only focused more or less on three things. He focused on one metric. The one metric he focused on all of his football teams was turnover margin. We were not, we're not going to win football games if we turn the ball over more than our, our teams do. Now, keep in mind, Joe Gibbs is, is regarded as an offensive guru uh, and really complex um, uh, offenses and had a lot of success, but that was his number one driving thing. The second thing that he concentrated on, equally important, was – Make sure people know the plays, period, end of subject. You have a job to do on the team, be the job, do the job, period, end of subject. The third thing that's interesting about Joe Gibbs is that he really loved people to be themselves. And one of his favorite players of all time actually is, is a guy named John Riggins. And if you don't know who John Riggins is, John Riggins is famous in the Washington, D.C. area if you grew up. He was an extreme character. Um, he actually had a, a, a – it wasn't a house. Part of it, where he lived, he lived in one of those um, short-order uh, office warehouses so he could drive his truck in and park it in the warehouse part when he was driving drunk. He also uh, told the Supreme Court uh, – Sandra Day O'Connor, the uh, Supreme Court uh, judge uh, – when he was literally drunk under a table one time to, and she was saying, you know, have some respect. He said, relax, Sandy, baby. That's <laughs> an example of somebody you wouldn't think somebody like Joe Gibbs would like, but John Riggins was one of his favorite players because he did the other two things really well. So why are we talking about this and coaching in this kind of discipline? Here's the thing that's fascinating. What's fascinating about Joe Gibbs is he's the only coach in the history of the NFL to win three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. And to me, the moral of the story there is what, what he did was he coached through a system and he didn't coach about individual people. But his system was rigid enough to where he encouraged people to be their, their unique selves 
by being their unique selves, as long as they didn't turn the ball over and as long as they knew what their role was. So, so that's our so, center story. All right. So now that we have the, the Redskins history, history I can um, go more. <laughs> circa, what, 1975 or what? 1982? 1980 was when he was 1980. So what does that have to do with uh, Rachel's question and her framing email that you sent that you just read? What does that have to do with that? And what does that have to do with sales enablement? So what, what this has to do with, with that is um, there are, a, if you look around, there is a lot of people talking or shouting uh, about frontline sales managers and uh, making them successful. Sometimes we, we, we call it about, we in sales enablement call it the, the force multiplier. We get, let's get sales managers to enable reps and things like that. But as much as we talk about it, and as much as it's been discussed for, frankly, decades, it's just really not happening. So the reason that we're, we're having a conversation here is I'm curious to get from you, Brian, what is actually Frontline sales coaching, what does it mean? Because when I look at it, I've seen examples that look more like life coaching. I've seen examples that um, uh, look like here's the prescription of what you should do and there's no deviance whatsoever. And then uh, from my perspective, I, I tend to track to, uh, to sports. I was a coach. I was a coach for uh, a swim team for, for four years. Uh, I was a coach for my, my, my kids' flag football team. I identify with, uh, with, with, with a lot with what, what Coach Jib, Jib says and, and thinks. What metaphor do we use for coaching? What does it look like? And how do we get some success for it instead of just talking about it all the time? Yeah, it's, it's pretty noisy out there, that's for sure. And uh, it's also really confusing. Uh, you know, to your point, is coaching a program? Is it a philosophy? Is it a tactic? You know, I hear these platitudes. Well, everybody should coach. Every manager should coach. Coach, 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 coach. We've got, and, and you know, there's even technology uh, out there and uh, supporting coaching. Yet, you know, 3% of, I guess, probably less than 5%. I don't know if it's 3 to 5 percent of companies have sales management kind of programs uh, supporting coaching. Even fewer have this idea of coaching as part of the sales manager comp plan. Uh, and more importantly, now there's some machine learning and AI coaching. AI sales coaching is a thing, uh, which to me is kind of scary because it's too much artificial and not enough intelligence uh, in the first place. And now we're going to have uh, AI co uh, sales coaching. Well, that, that's going to fix everything. And to, and to Rachel's point, I totally agree with her. Um, you know, it's an underserved, undersupported role. Uh, managers end up being managers because they're great reps. And being a great manager is not the same thing as being a great manager in other professions. Uh, because, you know, Scott, contextually, uh, sales managers ha have the people management stuff like approving vacations and doing performance reviews, but they're also part of the productivity engine of the, of the company. They have to drive sales revenue, which is a unique role that's not supported by traditional HR functions uh, and other groups that uh, in, in leadership development. So there's a huge void there. So to answer your question, you know, what, what is the, the, the purpose or what skills and competencies uh, do you need to have in management in the first place? And there's a there's a raging debate. And the debate is, well, managers should do more coaching versus managers should be, you know, uh, deal deal jockeys and spreadsheet jockeys. And and nobody's been able to resolve that. There's plat, you know, there's the 
the idea of we should we should go do that. Um, but has anybody done the time study to figure out uh, how much time managers are spending on these things? Probably not. So to answer the question first is what 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 do you want from them? You know what do you want from managers? And I don't know if that helps, but that's the first thing that pops into my head here is um, this this debate that's that's unresolved. So how so can me, you answer what the hell coaching is if you don't know what the role is supposed to do? So let me react to that, right? So uh, I'm driving around in my car, and that's a lot of stuff. It's overwhelming, and I'm a sales enablement person, or maybe I'm Rachel. Brian, that stuff sounds like it's all out of my pay grade. What can I do to start adding value? I'm in sales enablement, and I want to I wanna enable. Uh, we 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 had a, a, a recent podcast around um, uh, the chicken hawk. Remember the chicken hawk? So let, let's take what you said and let, maybe let's break this down. And what do I do with this information? Yeah, well, first you have to understand what uh, coaching is and also uh, what the purpose is of your, of your sales management team. So tactically... Wait, let me pause. When you say you... Is that a, a, I need to understand it as a sales enablement practitioner, or do yes. I have to gain agreement with the sales managers and the VP of sales of what sales coaching is? Yeah, it's both. So, so to me, you have to gain agreement, understand in your organization, what's the expectation of management. And then two, you have to enable that. Um, okay, so talking true. to Rachel then, Rachel, what, what, what I think Brian is saying, and Brian, I'm putting words in your mouth, spit out what doesn't fit. What I think, Rachel, what I think Brian is saying to you is number one, you need to have a philosophy of what training is. Think about it as a North Star and socialize that. At least make sure your VP of sales supports it. You, you might have to bring individual sales managers along. Is that step one? Yeah, absolutely. For example, is, is the management team sales management team responsible for getting the number. Yes, okay, well, what number is it? Uh, and two, uh, trick question, is it through people or for people? You know, I, I have these discussions with, with sales leadership. Do you want them to do it for their people or with their people and through their people? Well, you lost, you, you lost me there. So that the, that the question that I asked you was for Rachel, this, the first thing is she has to get buy-in, and then you went to the number. Um, yeah, that's an example of the buy-in. Like, what's the what's the purpose of the sales manager role? Is to get the number. What does that mean? But so, to whom are we talking to? To the VP of sales. Yeah, to sales leaders. Sales okay. Leaders. So, so Rachel has to have a perspective of what coaching means, or philosophy, as her north star. Right. She she must gain agreement, some minimum agreement with the head of sales about what his expectations are of the frontline sales managers. Yeah, that's right. Okay, gotcha. And, and with that, once there's agreement there, for example, what does it mean to get the number? What does it mean to team to get the number? Um, what's the, what's the, the relationship ex expectation between reps and managers, you know, what's the VP's expectation of that? What does that look like? Uh, and, and you might have to show a couple of examples. Are you talking about this Joe Gibbs style? 
are you, about principles and, and holding those principles? Or are you talking about that where uh, a sales manager jumps in and closes the deal? Uh, it's one or the other. Well, I want both. Okay, but in service of what? Uh, what purpose? Well, to get the to get the number, no matter what. Okay, so what what is off limits? What's the scope of that? Uh, nothing. They they can do anything they want to do to actually uh, close the deal. Okay. Okay. So, so I, let, let's pause this real quickly right now. Um, so br- br- what what Brian is talking about. In one of the earlier episodes, I wish I could remember which, uh, which number off the top of my head, but we, we, we had a conversation, Brian, about um, lessons learned from the learning and development world of which you came from and some of the terminology within it that I just didn't understand coming at it from the sales world. And I think what, what might be helpful is what it sounds like you're doing is a process to come up with the requirements of me as the sales leader of what I expect from a sales coaching program. But it sounds like you're following a process that's different than Addy. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Addy is this uh, typical design process to build curriculum. So I'm not following, yeah, I'm not, not following that. I am following a bit of a, a performance centric you know, channeling my inner Joe Gibbs, saying, <laughs> right? Listen, listen, listen. If, I, if I'm going to have uh, managers in the first place, you know, I have an expectation of them. And let me make sure I'm clear. If I'm an enablement person, I need to be clear. And if I'm a sales VP, I need to be clear. What skills and competencies do I need uh, those managers to exhibit? And, and that's, and it's, it's just question mark, stop. And in that, there, there are two camps. There's the compliance-driven, beat the crap out of reps camp, and then there's the do it with and, 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 and build team outcomes. Those things, those things are bipolar opposites. Gotcha. Um, so wait, pause this. So I'm going to go talk back to Rachel. So uh, Rachel, here's – so tying this back to uh, would love an episode on first-line manager onboarding. So what we're saying is the thing that you need to have first is a overall philosophy of what coaching is. Now, the second thing is you need to co-create or help build the requirements. What are the business requirements that the head of sales has knowing full well, A, they're not going to want to talk about it, and B, they probably don't know off the cuff how to give you what their requirements are. So you're going to have to interview them. And then there's going to have to be a give and take process. And Brian said, instead of Addy saying, tell me what you want and I'll go build it. It's give and take. Is it this or is it that? Yeah. Now what Brian's saying. Conversational kind of model what we're doing here, right? This might be a little bit frustrating for people to listen to, but this is part of figuring it out as we go, right? That's, that's we're right. For understanding. We're confirming back. We both have to have some patience here to not just jump to the answer. You know, Scott asked Brian to define sales coaching and damn it, he hasn't done that yet. We're working on it. We're working on it. Well, what what we're giving you, Rachel, is we're answering these questions that were dedicated to the first line sales manager onboarding. It's uh, you can go and just go, boom, here's your uh, reboarding program. But here's a model I got off the, you know, I see a lot of pictures, right? Here's a picture of it. Right. That's what we're doing. But if you you don't gain buy-in in the beginning, you're not really solving any problems. You're just sort of... um, moving the minutia around. So what we're saying is step one, build your, uh, build a, a coaching philosophy. Uh, number two is make sure you can define the requirements 
uh, with your, your, your sales leader. Now, step three, Brian's saying, okay, based on that philosophy, what is the impact? You can have a philosophy of you're in service of frontline managers. So that means your style or your program is going to be um, they elect into it. Or, so think about that in, in terms of uh, building a curriculum. It might be you're building a curriculum, a master's uh, curriculum. Uh, or the other one might be compliance oriented. Did sales managers do these things and we're going to drive them to it? You need to make that choice, but also you need to make sure that that choice has a business reason behind it and also has buy-in from your head of sales. And, and is uh, if you want to drive and make sure people follow said philosophy, it needs to be considered helpful by the management team that's going to, you know, supposed to use it or follow it. Right. No. I know we might be feeling anxious. What am I building? But we have to first build requirements. Yeah. Starting this stuff from scratch. Okay. Continue, Brian, please. And then if you have, or when you have that agreement and understanding, I would say that the next step to that then is, well, how, how are we as enablement going to help managers do those right things and meet those requirements? And, and that's, that's it. It's a simple question, but there's a it's lot hard. of options there. Simple. Sales is simple. Simple is hard. Yep. And there's a lot of options there. And if you ask people what they like sales leaders and sales uh, execs, what they're going to say at this point is, well, let's just outsource it. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but they do that. But I think it's important if, if you have a philosophy and a point of view is to, to, to bring some options to the table to say, listen, when it comes to helping sales managers do the right things, how about I do a, uh, a bit of a study here to figure out how they're allocating their time? And what they're spending their time on because you just gave me the requirements we both agree on it let's go see real world what's happening in in the field and how managers are allocating their time right uh, so, so if you're listening uh, listening in uh rachel's you could tell rachel was passionate just in the way that she wrote this uh so i think one of the things that most of us take for granted who get to see this over and over and over again is taking a athlete you know, a stud athlete. I mean, there's a reason that uh, Joe Gibbs wasn't considered a great football coach, football player, but one of the best coaches, and why we don't hear about Jerry Rice being a great NFL coach. Sometimes, if you're a great player, doesn't mean you're a great coach because you don't have empathy of what everybody else doesn't do. And really, uh, the, the idea of a manager is to be able to work and elevate a group of people rather than just be an individual awesome person. And that's something that's very, very difficult if you are one of those individually, the high pros, as Rachel mentioned, if you're a performer, now going in a manager role, you think everybody's gonna perform like I do because I know how to perform. Yeah. Humans don't work that way. So yeah, I think Rachel, the point that I'm making here is it's really important for you to illuminate that that condition exists so therefore, you can soften the beachhead a little bit and go, hmm, maybe we do need a program to help our frontline managers do it because this is a problem that isn't seen yet, but it's something that uh, people know exists. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and also to Rachel in that, you know, channeling back to, back to Joe Gibbs again, because um, it it's a great analog there. Um, that switch from being a, a great NASCAR driver making left-hand turns all the time and uh, beating the competition 
uh, versus crew chief or, or uh, you know, team leader is completely different. Yes, it's helpful to have uh, empathy for the driver or the rep in this case, but it's completely different skill sets. Yeah, and, to, and to Scott's point, uh, as an individual seller, I, I, if anybody's had success, and this is, this is how I've netted this out. So listen, if you're driving, this is, my, this is how I've netted this challenge out. One, if you're a top performer, I guarantee you if a top performer has had to learn how to be a top performer in spite of the system because they've, they haven't had the help and they've got things on their hard drive, et cetera, they don't turn to their company for help. As a sales manager, you're expected to turn to your company for help and you're expected to build team outcomes, not rely on your own individual strengths by yourself. And that is a fundamental difference. Relying on the team, building a team, doing it through people, Versus, you know, giving the, 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 the corporate support, the stiff arm, back to the football analogy, and telling them, no, thank you, I got this, I'm going to go close that deal now with my own marketing content I have on my hard drive. That, that, that's, that's the fundamental difference. So you have to actually, as a manager, trust the system around you, which is what Joe Gibbs built to allow people to be themselves, right? So that, that's a critical distinction there. Scott, absolutely. So I think that's a, a really important point. So uh, Rachel, uh, let, let's let's frame this this back out again. But what what Brian's talking about? Part of the in an earlier episode, and you know we're going to plug it uh, where we use fog, a foghorn leghorn uh, cartoon to talk about stakeholder management. Here's a great opportunity for a give get. When you are, when you become a frontline sales manager, and what I'd ask you to do, Rachel, is interview them just about their day in the life. This is probably today the hardest job in any company. And the reason is, is they're hit from all directions. And then they get frustrated and say, well, at the end of the day, I'm evaluated by my number. I'm just going to go rogue. Screw the rest of you people. <laughs> and I, I think what, what, where you can help. By the way, them going rogue is the surest way for them to not be successful. Uh, but they might think it's the right way to be successful. It's not because you don't get any you, you don't get any of the resources to make it leverage. They get burned out too, but yeah. Yeah, and you just sort of chip away. Maybe maybe it helps you squeeze out at the quarter, but it's not it's not long long term sustainable success. So one of the the points that we talk about in the uh, with the idea of stakeholder management and building that skill is the give to get. Here's why in the world am I going to sign up as a sales manager, your, um, your management program, you're not a sales manager, you're not a successful sales manager, how am I going to, why should I listen to you? So part of what you need to be able to do is part of the get, the give that you want, want me to do and the give, here's what I get as a frontline sales manager by participating in your program you're going to pre-configure some resources and help them understand what my job's like. So in other words, you're gonna prevent more people from me doing, that, do, doing their job. I, as a sales manager, by joining your, by participating in your coaching program, I, you've made it easier where instead of having four or five different uh, pipeline review th forms that I gotta fill out, I only have to fill out one. You've taken a thorn out of my paw now, as a result of that, I'm going to participate in your, in your coaching program. And you keep making those give, gets, give, gets, give, gets, and then you build out more and more support 
for your program because I'm getting something out of it either, rather than just what you want to do, which is reboard me. So I think it's really important that you factor in the, the, the story about stakeholder management, heed the, heed the, heed the advice that, that Brian's giving you, because going full of going at a, for a frontal assault with a reboarding program, you have to first help make people aware that they have a problem and that they're clear on what problem they're solving. Just because you see it doesn't mean other people see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you got to drop the, the language on reboarding because it's like, you know, the world's toughest profession. How would you like to get re reboarded back into it? It's like, well, you know, come on. <laughs> but but uh, to, to what I think you could do uh, is redefine or reclarify, right? I've used this language before. Now that we have an understanding of here what's going on, let's reclarify or just clarify in general. Not necessarily redefine, it gets a little people a little bit bent out of shape, but if you clarify the role now, so what's the role? And what are the objectives of the role? Whether you call it role profile, job description, whatever, there's a, there's a, a specific set of requirements we've identified, there's a specific a philosophy, we've done the time study, we've, we've talked about you know, through people instead of for people, write it all down and get, get sign off, not from HR first, that should be the last group uh, to sign off on it. It should be from the sales leadership team and even managers themselves as to, yes, this is what I would call it, consider the management, manager of the future, the manager of now. The evolution of this role on paper, as we've discussed, it looks like X. And don't worry about the format and how long it is, but if you don't clarify it on paper, then you can't really say, well, my program supports that, what you all agreed to. And then you give it to HR. So it has to do, my next step then would have to do with redefining, reclarifying the job descriptions to align to the value that needs to be created by management. And then, and then clarifying the next piece, which is if you're stuck on any of this stuff, here's where you go for help. And, and our enablement team's here to help you with this. So for example, if the role of manager is to quote unquote, go coach, which, you know, if you can take one thing, a second thing away from this podcast is it's, you got to clarify what you mean by that. So, you know, assume you've clarified all that, what, what it means to coach. Then here's where you go to get that kind of help. Uh, here's, here's what a day in the life should look like now. And this is the expectation of your day in the life that, that takes things away and simplifies your view and add things like uh, the, the rituals, for, so to speak, that we would expect you to have with your people. The conversations that we would want you to have about customers the feedback that you would be providing back to marketing groups and product groups and even management around the customer conversations. Now, these are cultural in a lot of instances, but, you know, uh, if you're going to take something away, you need to replace it. And that's what this lets you do when you write it down on paper like that. So you can get to the, to the piece where you're enabling instead of just doing to the management team, do it with them. Let me give some, some color on that. Uh, one of the things so it's no big surprise. Uh, Brian and I used to work together uh, when we were at Forrester. And we were building a, uh, a team model, an operating model. We'll talk about operating models uh, later. And one of the things Brian kept bringing up was role clarity. And I was in the, uh, the, the, the leadership role there, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And I said, then let's get everybody together and have everybody build their roles. And Brian said, we got, we got to document. And I was like, what do we need to document? I, I don't understand. Everybody just said what their roles were. And here's an example of, 
I understand now what he's talking about. What he's talking about is if you have it on paper, you can actually drive that kind of clarity. And I wanted to move fast. And Brian's word sounded like he was making it slow. What we're talking about here is, is sort of the, the, the same thing. In order for you to go fast, sometimes you have to go slow. And part of going slow is if we're gonna roll something out, let's make sure that we have some of those particular details. So uh, it sounds like a lot of words, roll clarity, roll ambiguity. Yeah. I've checked out honestly, but I know it's in it, 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 as, as a leader because it sounds so overwhelming. Yeah. Gave me a role profile, walked me through what something and why it's important and walked me through it where I don't feel like I have to create it, which is really what my frustration was in hindsight, Brian, was it felt like you're putting all this work on me rather than showing up and say, hey, one of the challenges that we're going to have is role clarity. I put together an outline of a, of a, of a description to help us manage that. Can I walk you through with that? And I'd have been, wow, that's great. You're being proactive. Right. Uh, and then here's, here's how these roles um, would, would drive our, our value. Yep. Right? And here's what you can, each person could expect from each other. Because, oh, by the way, you know, part, the, other, the other part of that is we were changing the whole operating model. So we didn't have existing silos to just be proxies. And that's what's happening here. The sales management role is evolving. You can't say that sales managers uh, have a proxy anymore. They don't because the roles evolve. And if, you, if, if people don't agree that the roles evolve, that's a whole, whole separate discussion, ping me, uh, but it has. And it, the reason for that is because customers evolved and digital transformations are mandating more cross-functional teaming to drive business results, especially in you know, SaaS companies. So if you're, if you're going to uh, redefine the role, you have to understand that um, there is no proxy for the existing definition, which means you have to write it down and get agreement. And I agree with the proactive part there. Don't put it on management, but show up with, and then explain the why. If we don't define the role, HR will ask us why we are asking people in management roles to do things differently. Uh, one, so we're gonna manage the risk from a compliance and HR perspective by writing this stuff down. Two, we're gonna get better talent that aligns to our strategy because our talent acquisition team uh, and the recruiting team, I'm gonna build a bridge to them. They gotta know who to hire for and who to recruit for and what we're looking for. And we're gonna run, I'll run meetings with them to help, and with you if you'd like to clarify the profile of who we wanna hire because we don't wanna hire just anybody. Uh, you know, three, it's gonna help me align the onboarding program if that's part of my remit because I'm gonna know who we're getting and I'm gonna build a, a profile of manager that uh, a, a curriculum that drives the profile of manager, excuse me. So I'm going to build my stuff to equip and, and help managers look like that on paper. And then I'm going to be able to retain managers because I've written this down. Uh, not only will we have entry level, so to speak, management, but we'll have, you know, black belt, you know, Zen Yoda, uh, you know, super awesome management because I've written this down and I'll be able to build a bridge uh, through that 101, 201, 301, level because I've written this down. Uh, so these are things that I'm gonna do for you slash with you management team that's gonna manage risk, accelerate our ability to drive our strategy, retain our people and help our reps get what the help they need because that's, the, that's one of the shifts in the sales management role is the definition of helping sales people be successful has changed. So we're gonna help retain our reps too by, by writing this down. 
Does so to help, help us bring this, uh, bring this to closure, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share three things that I'm taking away from this, Brian. And uh, there are three things that I'm taking away, projecting a lot onto you, Rachel. So I didn't share what your last name is. So you have some, uh, some anonymity. But my, my, my takeaway, number one, if I know sales enablement professionals like I do, a lot, many, of you, many of you are probably feeling pretty anxious about what Brian said sounds like a lot of work, it sounds like it's complicated. When did you tell me exactly what to go do? And if you are thinking that, my first question of you is, are you thinking to serve others or are you thinking about how others can serve you? And I think that's a, a fundamental question all enablement people should ask is you feel pressured to go do something and then you want a checklist of stuff to go do. But if you go did that checklist and pushed it onto people and you haven't gotten the buy-in, you haven't gotten the co, uh, you haven't gotten the support of what the program is in the first place, you haven't, uh, haven't gained all these different things, you're pushing something forward that's going to have no support whatsoever. So basically your program is going to be stillborn and you've helped no one. So the goal is at the end of the day, are you gonna evaluate yourself on whether or not you did a whole bunch of stuff and it looks really pretty, good, good job, but did it drive results? And if you're not doing the kinds of things that Brian's talking about, you're not gaining the internal support, you're not gaining the particular buy-in and you sure aren't gonna get the people using it. Because I, I got news for you, no matter what kind of mandate you put out, for, for uh, frontline sales coaching, it doesn't work. The frontline sales managers are really good at articulating how things don't work and why they don't have to do it because they don't have a lot of time. And if the VP of sales hears a lot of it and doesn't have any reason to push back, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna say the mandate for coaching is gone. So you're, you've invested a lot of time and energy to parole out a bunch of stuff to do a whole bunch of checklists that sounds super sophisticated and make you look smart, but no one's used it. So the reason that Brian's walking you through all these things is through lessons learned of what works to get people to use it or not. That's point number one. Point number two is along the way, there are many things in our podcast, like the skill of stakeholder management. This is a fantastic opportunity. Tackling something like this that is hard breaking it down into small steps and then doing the give get am i in service of you what do you want and then also what can you do to help me if you keep doing this this is the way that you build the foundation of support so if you're brand new and you want to be able to speak or you want to have the support of sales managers behind you don't impose something on them that is the surest way to get a revolt i agree uh, a way to get the support and, and the, to be able to push back on the rest of the organization is you'd want to be able to have a, a core constituent base. If you want to get that core constituent base, get them to support, uh, support the idea. Let them, uh, I, I like to use the idea of let them put their fingerprints on the murder weapon. It's not you, Rachel, having the greatest idea on the planet. It's you've brought the best ideas to bear. Third point, uh, my third reaction to what, what, what Brian's saying is, um, let's follow the narrative here. I think if we're in the zone of always being reactive, we're conditioned to only look at the checklist. 
instead of if we want to be proactive, how do we solve uh, solve more reactive problems? Pay attention to the stories about how we can, through this process, systematically reduce symptoms or root problems rather than treating symptoms. If we're only listening for what we can go do, we are only treating symptoms. If we are listening actively to all of our constituents in this process and, and engaging with them and making sure they're buying in and every step along the way that Brian talked about, we are moving every day a little bit closer to being proactive. And then that gives you more control of your day-to-day -day activities. So that way, over time, you don't, you don't work 60 hours a week, you work 50 hours a week to eventually you can get to you know, a reasonable time. So those are the, those are the three things, th those are my three uh, takeaways of what you shared. Yeah, yeah, what are your reactions to that and close us out with uh, three things that Rick can go do? Yeah, that's great recap. Thanks, Scott. And thanks for your help on the uh, front end of this. Uh, I, I tend to, to jump in and uh, provide direction. And it was really helpful to have you uh, zero me in on the scoping part of the front end of this. So that th that's also, I'm sure, going to benefit the listeners. So thanks for doing that. I think um, for me to, to action this, um, you know, everyone knows, and I would, I would use, I would use the, the Steven Seagal approach. He's an <laughs> Uh, you let you let use use people's momentum against them, right? So when people are coming at you, yeah, everybody, every you know what managers need to coach. Dang right, you know what those managers need to do something different. Dang right, but what does that actually mean? Um, and I think that's that's where you can put the pause here and and be really clear on what the the behavior changes are expected and what it means to coach, and then get agreement. And, and to your point with stakeholder management, uh, you're the you're the mouthpiece. You're not the mandate. Uh, sales leadership is the mandate. You're the mouthpiece for that. And you've got the buy-in through the council or whatever before you action. And that way you have a way to get, um, you know, top cover along the way. So make sure you have that. Um, so, so leverage the buzzwords to get, get traction. Uh, and then two, you know, think about the Joe Gibbs system view of what performance means. Uh, this idea of, of being a coach and building out the system, it's the new normal. Uh, it, it's not the, it, when, it's, when coaching first started becoming a buzz, it was a task. Make sure you go coach. Make sure you find coachable moments. Go do this thing called coaching. And it came across to 99.9% .9 of managers as yet another thing I have to go do. Then, then it evolved into, no, it's a mindset. It's something that you should be thinking all the time. But nobody's really redefined what that day in the life or that relationship between managers and reps needs to look like in the new normal. And that's where you can drive uh, clarity is comparing and contrasting what the expectations were 20 years ago or even 10 years ago or five years ago into what they need to be five years down the road or even today uh, with the and zeroing in on the relationship between managers and the reps. And if you have to build a week-long calendar that shows the calendar view of a manager uh, today and a calendar, calendar view of a manager uh, you know, after your program, then do that to visualize and compare and contrast the, the difference there. And then, you know, third is you've got to be curious and you've got to be consultative internally. You know, for example, I, I hinted at that. My, my company talks about, you know, you got to, you got to, managers have to help get the, you know, enable the strategy or execute the sales strategy. That's the first thing they need to do. Second, they have to be able to help get the number through their people's the third and the fourth is to drive client value. But in executing the strategy, what does that mean? You know, getting the number, what do you mean? 
uh, through their people. What does that look like? What does that mean? Tactically, tangibly, clear, clearly. And then this idea of capturing more value, what does that mean? And you're going to find that in that conversation, there's not a lot of clarity and pictures can go a long way and so can working sessions. But the more clarity you have uh, with these, these Zen questions, uh, the, the better off your, your coaching program is going to be. And I would actually not roll it out as a program so much as a, a re-clarification of the sales manager of the future uh, so that it doesn't come across as a tactic. So that was, those would be my three things, making sure you get the agreement up front, talking about and, and re redefining or clarifying the new normal, and then uh, making sure you're clear about the requirements of the role of the new manager. Awesome. So let me, uh, let me close this out so with one bookend thought. Uh, and then, um, then we'll wrap up. So Rachel, one of the things that I translated for Brian is saying, you need to have a coaching philosophy. And the reason that shopping that is important is let's go back to Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs was an offensive coordinator when he got hired. The re he had the support of the owner, Jack Kent Cup, because he had an overall philosophy. By having that overall philosophy, what that did is it gave the owner confidence because Joe Gibbs' first five games was 0-5, unacceptable. Most fans wanted him run out and fired. And those are the things that we, we need to be able to run into is by being clear and having a very clear strategy so that the, and that people support in gives you the opportunity to carry these things out and, and move forward and, and, and keep progressing. So with that, uh, since, since I was wrapping that up and trying to tie back that, that back to Gibbs, Rachel, this was a whole podcast for you based on the, based on the note that, that you shared. We'd love to invite you on our show and, and, and react to it. If you don't want to do that, if somebody else wants to react to it, was jiving with what Rachel said and say, hey, you know, I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to combat or confront the guys or talk through what the heck are you guys talking about? Uh, come and, and join our show. If you'd like, please send us a note and highlight this. So this was clearly a user recommended story. Tell us how we did. Did we, did we communicate it clear? Did we make our points? What could we do better? How can we make it more packaged and more repeatable? And with that, our episode has concluded. Please do us a favor and share what you thought, what your insights were. Uh, please uh, get two or three people to listen to it. Drop us a note at engage at insidese.com. When we announce a podcast, do us a favor, like it, share it with your peers, go and rate it, uh, uh, go and rate it and watch out and subscribe. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for, for listening. Thank you, Brian. That was an awesome, uh, awesome job. I look forward to hearing what folks say about us. And with that, we're out. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.